text of this sermon this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Getting just a little bit of a ring. Um, there we go, I think that's about it. Still ringing, getting feedback. Chapter 3 of John. Really, it's the first 21 verses, and, but I want to just read verses 1 through 3 and then do 14 through 21. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. As far as I'm concerned, there is only one thing, one person that is worse than a person who denies the existence of God, and that is a person who believes in God and yet who denies him his rightful place in his life. You see, there are two kinds of atheists. There is an atheist who denies the existence of God, and there is the atheist who denies the right of God upon his life. There are those who deny God, and there are those who defy God. Now, it may surprise you to know that the Bible does spends more time or deals much more with the farmer than the latter. Have you ever noticed how little the Bible spends, how little time or effort or space the Bible spends on trying to prove the existence of God? It just doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, as, as far as I know, there's only one small sentence in the Bible that deals with the existence of God are seeking to prove the existence of God. That's what, this is what it says. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Bible just assumes the existence of God. 
So as far as the Bible is concerned, unbelief is not so much denying God or His existence as it is disobeying God or His commands. Now I want to nail that down because I think it's germane to this passage and say it again that as far as the Bible is concerned, unbelief is not so much denying God as it is defying God. And so the author of the book of Hebrews can talk about the heart of unbelief. Now that seems kind of strange. You'd think it would be the head of unbelief, but it really isn't. For unbelief is not so much a matter of the head as it is the heart. It's not so much a matter of the intellect as it is the will. It's not that a person can't believe, it's that he won't believe. I want you to notice something. In a verse I did not read, verse 11, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know. This is reality we declare to you. And it's, on the, it's in the context of the uh, declaration of the new birth. We speak that which we know and witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Now, now most, for most of us, we go from knowledge to reception. Uh, in other words, let me understand this. Let me see this and I'll believe it. You, you show me this so I can believe, then I believe. But Jesus said, no, it's a matter of, this is the order. You receive the witness of Jesus as an act of your will, your volition, and knowledge will come as the result of the reception. It's not knowledge and then reception. It's reception and then knowledge. So that as far as the Bible is concerned, belief is not so much a matter of intellectually conceiving Him as it is faithfully committing to Him. What is, what is uh, belief? Belief is renouncing self. Belief is seeing myself as a lifetime servant of Jesus Christ. Belief is the wholehearted commitment of one's life to Jesus Christ. And it is unbelief that sends a man to hell. Did you know that? Some people ask, you know, what, what, will, what sends a person to hell? You go to hell not because of what you do, but what you don't do. He, Jesus said, this is the condemnation. Uh, he that believes is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We go to hell not because of what we do, but because of what we don't do. Somebody said he saw a track one time and the title of this track was, What Must I Do to Be Saved? He said he turned the page and it was just full of these um, scripture verses on how to be saved and... and um, uh, uh, the plan of salvation, the outline of how to be saved. He said, then he turned the page and said, what must I do to be lost? And he turned the page and it was just one word, nothing. You have to do a thing to be lost. Unbelief is a matter of just not committing your life to Jesus Christ. Now the book of John is a book of belief. It is written, he says, in the end of this book in order to invoke people to believe in Jesus Christ. And the third chapter of John deals with the characteristics of unbelief. And I want to uh, come at it from that negative perspective. I want to look this morning at the characteristics of unbelief, understanding. 
That unbelief is not so much a matter of denying the existence of God as it is denying the right of God in His place in your life. What are the characteristics of unbelief? Unbelief, in the first place, is a sin against logic. Now Nicodemus says in verse 2, we know that you're a teacher from God. We know that. Now if there ever was a man who did not want to believe in Jesus, it was this man. I want you to look at his resume. He was a teacher of the Jews. He was a teacher of Judaism. He was a member of the Pharisees, probably a member of the Sanhedrin. He had political clout in the Jewish world. He was called a ruler of the Jews. If there ever was a man who did not want to believe in Jesus, it was this man. This Nazarene, this peasant, this son of Joseph and Mary, this itinerant preacher, this carpenter, or am I to believe in him? If there ever was a man who was going to have a hard time believing in Jesus, it was Nicodemus. And yet, he has no choice it was the logical thing for him to do. It was the sensible thing for him to do. He knows that if he does not believe that Jesus is from God, then he's denying fact. And he says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. The word means irrefutable evidence. We have irrefutable evidence that you're from God. Let me tell you something, folks. To believe in Jesus is the most logical thing a man could do. It's the most common sense thing a man can do. Sometimes people talk about trusting in Christ or faith, and they talk about faith as being a leap into the dark. Folks, it's not a leap into the dark. It's a leap into the light. And Jesus told that parable of the prodigal son and he said this boy went to the far country and he was guilty there. He was uh, uh, in, uh, in, in terrible shape. He was suffering from spiritual insanity there. He wasted his substance and he ceased to be what he was meant to be. And then the, the parable says that all of a sudden he came to himself. He came to himself. And Jesus telling the story said that when he came to himself, he said, I'll go to the house of my father. I'm convinced that when a person comes to his senses, he comes to Jesus. And the scripture said, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And the word is a legal term. It's a courtroom analogy, a courtroom term. It means take all the evidence and lay it out. Take the evidence and view it and, and, and investigate it. It's reasonable that he will make your sins red as scarlet, as white as snow. The most reasonable thing you can do is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And so he finished his sermon on the mount with these words. He that heareth these words of mine and does not do them is foolish. It's foolishness. He's as foolish as a man who would build his house upon the sand. Carl Bates said, My life changed for me when I discovered that God could do more for my life than I could do for myself. I want you to know my witness this morning is this. The smartest thing I ever did in my life, I have ever done in my life, was to give my life wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. It's it's logical. It's common sense. It makes sense. The sin of unbelief is a sin against logic. Secondly, the sin of unbelief is the sin against light. Now verses 17 through 21 are heavy with this statement. 
Now light is come into the world. This is the judgment. Men refused the light because their deeds were evil. The sin of unbelief is a sin against light. Vance Havener was right when he said, we're going to be judged in the final analysis not on the basis of what sin we've committed, but what light we've rejected. And I remember reading one time that Jesus stood in the communities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and pronounced woes on those cities. And he said, if the miracles that have been performed in these communities had been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented in dust and ashes. And when he said that, those people must have gasped audibly because they knew from their history what Sodom and Gomorrah was like. Wicked cities, cities of perversion, cities of evil, and God had judged them and destroyed them. Now what Jesus is saying is, you folks have all this light, how much greater is going to be the judgment upon you. Now you and I have had a lot of light. I mean, there's a church on every corner. There's a sermon on every channel. There's a Bible on every table. You and I have had a lot of light. And James said, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin, not sins plural, sin. And it's the same word that's used over here for the sin that brings judgment and lostness. The sin of unbelief, James said, this is the sin of unbelief, to know to do good and doeth it not. I have a question for you. Are you doing all you know to do? I didn't say are you doing all you need to do. Are you doing all you know to do? For the most part, our concept of holiness is negative. And the folks we call holy are usually folks who don't do these things or not involved in these sins that we have listed or categorized. We have them on our little clipboards, you know, and we check them off. Most of the time when we talk about somebody being holy, we talk about a person not being involved in some of these sins that we've listed. I want to remind you that when Jesus talked about judgment, he said this, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was naked and you clothed me not. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Now, now, where did that judgment come from? It came from this, that folks knew to do good, but they didn't do it. Now, there are two things that Jesus wants us to see about this light that men refuse. One is that, that folks don't come to the light because they love their sin. He said they didn't come to the light because their deeds were evil. They love their sin. Now, whatever else, whatever excuse a person wants to give you for not being a Christian, when it all boils down and is pared down to the bottom line, the only excuse, the only reason a person doesn't come to Christ is he loves his sin. I had a guy tell me one time, he was witnessing to a fellow, and he said he got all kinds of excuses about why he wouldn't be saved. And he said, we answered every excuse from the Bible. And finally he said, we talked about two hours and said, I just kind of kind of called time out and I said, just be honest with me, friend. He said, isn't the reason why, the real reason why you won't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because you love your sin? 
and he said the guy kind of dropped his head and smiled sheepishly and said, well, I guess you're right. Would you, would you listen to me? Most of us here this morning are believers. Would you look right here at me? Most of us are Christians. The only reason why, the only reason you and I will not wholeheartedly commit our life to Jesus Christ and make Him the Lord of our life is we love our sin more than we love Jesus. He said people won't come to Him. They hate Him because they love their sin. The second thing Jesus wants us to understand about light is that the greater the light, the greater the condemnation. Now I used to think that Moses got, a, got an unfair deal. You know, I, I really did. I, I, I'd read the Bible and I'd, I'd, I'd read it. God took Moses up on this high mountain. He said, I want you to look over into the promised land. Just look at all you could have had, but you're not going to get. I'm not going to let you go in. I, I thought, well, what in the world did Moses do to get, you know, deserve that? He must have really done some terrible thing. But, but he really, what he did was he lost his temper once. And smote a rock and disobeyed God. I mean, who hasn't lost their temper? I've seen some of you. You've never seen me, of course, but I, I mean, who hasn't lost their temper? And I thought, well, that's a pretty rough deal put on old Moses that God wouldn't let him go into the promised land because, just because he did this one little upon one. And that's why James said, Not let, don't let many of you be teachers, for you understand that to be a teacher, you receive a stricter judgment. And what he means by that is that when I try to teach you, God expects more of me. Sin of unbelief is a sin against light. Third, the sin of unbelief is a sin against love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now what greater love is there than that? I mean, the Bible says that greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. I mean, that's the greatest love. Now doesn't it make sense that if a person sins against the greatest love, that must be the greatest sin? As a matter of fact, if you look back in the Old Testament, you'll find that when God got ready to call a new commitment from His people, He listed all that He had done for them. You, you watch that. You, you'll see that every time. When God gets ready to move them to a new level of demand or commitment, He does so by reminding them of all that He'd done for them in the past. And so the 24th chapter of Joshua, God is getting ready to bring them into the new land. It's their new land. They're conquering there. Now God is going to demand something different from them, a higher commitment. And so he just goes in great detail describing how he's loved them because he wants them to understand that to sin against him in unbelief is to sin against his mercy and his love. And Paul starts Romans 12 with this. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. God did this for you. You should do this for Him. Now there is one great illustration in the Bible of the love of God. In the Old Testament, what a picture of God's love in the story of Hosea. Here was a man, a preacher, a prophet, whose wife had 
forsaken him, had, had sinned against his love to go after other lovers because of what they'd promised her. I want you to try to put yourself in his place. Here he is, disappointed as a husband, um, in shame in his community, um, left to care for these little children, three little children, two of them are not even his. And his wife has sinned against his love to go after other lovers. One night he's sitting in his cold, empty room thinking about all of this, trying to make some sense out of all of it. And all of a sudden it begins to dawn on him. Yahweh loved Israel like I loved Gomer. Therefore, look at what this nation's sin is doing to Yahweh. For why had God chosen Israel? Why did he not choose the mighty Egyptians, the, artist, the mighty Assyrians, the artistic Egyptians, the energetic Phoenicians? Why had he chosen Israel? You can no more rationally explain that than two people can explain why they fell in love. They just fell in love. They love each other. And so God rescued Israel out of Egypt, wooed her in the desert, made her his waif bride at Sinai, and set her up in this house he promised her from the beginning because he loved her. And now Hosea sees it. To sin against God is to sin against love. The sin of unbelief is a sin against love. No wonder McLaren says that God is the greatest sufferer in the universe. And this is a suffering God, he says, because of his love. One last thought, please. The sin of unbelief is a sin against life. Now the real issue this morning is not do you believe what I say? The real issue is are you going to live or die? The real issue is not do I accept a set of doctrine? That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, the book of John is a book of life. You'll find the term eternal life more in the book of John than any other book. He writes this book in order that people would have life. The real issue is not, am I going to uh, subscribe to Baptist denominationalism and when I go out of these doors this morning, am I going to say he's right and others are wrong or they're right and he's wrong? That's not the real issue. The real issue is, are you going to live or die? The, the issue is a matter of life and death. So the Bible says, I set before you today life and death. Choose life. To sin the sin of unbelief is to choose to continue to die. In the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, John in his exile has this vision. This is what he sees. He said, I see the small, the multitude, small and great around the throne of God. And I see the books. And there is another book, he said, there. It's called the book of life. And he said, they are judged, the small and great, out of the books. The books are opened and they're judged, both small and great, out of the books. 
then he said, I saw death and Hades, death and the abode of death, cast into the lake of fire, and everyone whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake that burns with fire. Now, now you, need to, you need to hang on to that just a second. He's saying that when they open the books, they were judged for what they found in the books. But those who were cast into the lake of fire and separated from God were not cast into the lake of fire because of what they found in the books, but what they didn't find in the book because they didn't find their name in the book of life. The sin of unbelief is the sin of death. And so John Henry Jowett received a letter from a man he said it was the worst uh, letter filled with despair and hopelessness. And the man signed his name, Thanatos, the Greek word for death. The real issue this morning is when you go out of this room, are you going to live or die? It's a matter of life and death. And the solution is in this text. He that believes shall have life in him. He that believes shall have life in him. That doesn't mean I accept intellectually the fact of God, the existence of God. It means he that sees himself a lifetime servant of Jesus Christ, he that makes a wholehearted commitment of his life to Jesus Christ, he will live. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you have made it such so that any man or child, any woman or child, anywhere can be born again, can have life, eternal life, by looking away from self to the object of faith even Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray this morning that there will be that look to Him that brings life, eternal life. Because I pray it in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Now would you look here just a moment. There are three invitations that we extend here today. One is the invitation to receive eternal life, the gift of God, which is eternal life.
receiving Jesus Christ into your life by faith and a wholehearted commitment of your life to Him, there is life in Him. Second invitation is for you to do what you know to do. Are you doing all you know to do? If not, that is sin. Do you know that God wants you to place your life in the church, to minister more effectively, more committedly through the church? In the service this morning, early service, two young people came forward, college students, to say, we know that God wants us to join this church. And we're obedient to Him. We're going to give Him His rightful place in our life by obedience. Perhaps God would speak to you concerning church membership, concerning some need in your life of a new commitment of that life to Jesus Christ. That's our invitation. We invite you to come on the first word of the first stanza while we stand to sing.